I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv. Welcome to episode 22. Welcome to springtime. Welcome to Ramadan. This is such a special and transformative time. All of the best miracles always come, and all of the best things come in twos. I've been going through such an intense period of renewal a deep deep state of transformation probably the biggest transformation i've ever gone through in my life and i've been thinking a lot about deliverance and maybe it's because it's ramadan or just because i've been in this intense spiritual journey but there's this whole idea that we get delivered and we are saved from so many things and glory to god for that right (laughs) we all have addictions and shortcomings and trauma and anxiety. And there are so many things that can hurt and try to kill a person in one lifetime. And you know, for me, at one point I was delivered from poverty and maybe I was delivered from low self-esteem or certain vices. And after you're delivered, once I was delivered, I could do anything except for what I used to do. And I could be anyone except for who I used to be. And even though there will come a time in which I'll talk about, you know, the addictions and the vices and the things that get in the way of destiny. In the last few months, I've been delivered from something so much more important than any of that. I've been freed from something. I've been freed from people, delivered from people. We bear the weight of so much pain and we seek out these vices and we incur these addictions. The depression and anxiety are just consequences of all of the stuff brought to us by other people, all the times that people put their baggage on us and it warped our view of ourselves. And it starts from a child when your parents bring you all of their issues, all of their baggage that they leave in your home. And sometimes it's not even what people bring, but it's what they take when they walk out the door. And all of a sudden we're walking around as a consequence of other people. And we can't be who we wanna be. We can't be who we need to be because of other people. And for me, this became a really, really big issue in the last few months because I felt myself hitting this wall. And I was sort of like, your talent has plateaued, even with asking Viv, I was feeling like this is just not moving and rocking the way it once did. And I thought, how? Because you so love people. You so love people. And I know that somehow people love me. So I was like, what is this? And what I realized it was this specter, this ghost of all these people who had hurt me, the things that they had said about me that I had internalized about myself, ways that they had judged me, sometimes maliciously, sometimes just offhandedly, things that men had said to me about my body that I came to believe, the things I came to believe I became. And there was this point where I wanted to be free of it, not just because of the pain that it was causing me, but because I just could not move forward. And I realized I had this real intense fear of actually stepping out into the world in my full capacity. That sure, maybe I could sit behind a microphone and do an Ask Viv for the rest of my life, but I could never get behind a camera. I could never get on a stage because I was so afraid of other people. And it was such a fundamental inconsistency and irony because how could I simultaneously fear people and love people? 
And there was something that was keeping me from being fully accessible to people because I had this fear that if I was fully vulnerable and I told the truth about who I was and where I came from and how I was, that I could not be loved because I would be at the mercy of people. And all of these things, they came to this impasse where I was like, how do you get free of people? It's such an essential question, especially as an artist, you love people. So you so want to tell them the truth because you know by telling them the truth that they'll be better off, that they'll be freer and happier and more beautiful and life will be more promising. But you also know that in telling the truth that one, people might hate you. And that's a real possibility that people will not love you because you tell the truth. And we have so many examples from the beginning of time of this being the case of people who told the truth being outright assassinated, crucified. And so you have to make peace with the fact that telling the truth may not bear love in other people. And then there's this other vanity side of it, of knowing that if you tell the truth and if you come out with everything that you are and be who you are, that people might judge you. That maybe if I stood in front of a screen that people would think that I was ugly or they think that you'll be overweight or they think this or they think that and all of a sudden you never even try. It's so funny, there's so many situations and you find people that will never even try because of a fear of what people will think. And it's frustrating because even when you grow out of the fear of what other people think, then how do you even go beyond that and really learn to love people? You just know that telling the truth was enough because you love you and you love people and those facts become enough. But how do you get there is the question. You get there through forgiveness. And it's something that nobody wants to hear because there's nothing sexy about forgiveness. It's so rare that you see a Hollywood movie and the entire trope is about forgiveness. No, we love vengeance. We want to get even. We want to hurt people in the ways that they hurt us. We want people to be small in the ways that they make us feel small. We want them to know what we know about pain, even the kindest of us. There's always that one person in your past that you know if you saw them tomorrow, you'd want to tell them exactly what you thought about them and you harbor this weight, then you can only get free of it one way. There's only one way out of it. And you have to forgive people for the apologies that they never give you and the offhanded things that they say that affect you. And you have to dig deep, deep, deep all the way back into high school and middle school when that first boy said that first thing about your body. I had to dig deep, deep, deep into the first recollection that I had of my mother telling me that thing that she told me about what a woman was supposed to be. I had to dig deep into the first thing that my father did not do for me. I had to dig deep into all the broken promises and the lies that people told me about myself that I had internalized so deeply I didn't even remember who had said them because they had become a reoccurring narrative that was so important to the way that I lived my daily life that I didn't even know that I could be free of the narrative that I told myself about myself. And I didn't realize that that narrative was so rooted in the past that I didn't even know if there was a future at a time. I was so cynical about everything. I was not optimistic. I couldn't trust people in the ways that you need to trust people in order to fully love them. And it was all because of somebody else. And I had to learn to forgive. I had to acknowledge that you did this to me and it hurt like hell and it broke me down. But I made a decision in my mind, not my feelings, because the day will never come when you feel like forgiving. But I made a decision in my mind to say, I forgive you. And anytime those feelings of resentment resurfaced, I just quieted them immediately. I said, that's not the truth anymore. Because what I learned is I can't change the past and I can't change those people and I can't change the circumstances 
circumstances that created those situations, but I could change my mind. And so, so many situations, one by one, I went through them like a Rolodex. This person and that person, this boy, this girl, this community, this institution. And I forgave each and every one of them. And I could feel myself getting physically lighter. And I was walking different and I was talking different. And I was thinking, who am I becoming? And I realized I was becoming myself because what I was beginning to look like and sound like and talk like and act like was me, me without other people, me who is not perpetually 15 anymore, me who is not perpetually five, consequence of the things that other people did or did not do, me without a chip on my shoulder. It's amazing what you can do with you without other people. And I wish that freedom for everybody. And that's what today's show is about. It's all about being free from other people. So now we're gonna get into these questions because I know that's your favorite part. Dear Viv, when I started college, I became best friends with an amazing girl. I introduced her to another friend of mine and we all became close. The two girls began doing things without me and I felt left out. It built up to the point where we got into a huge fight and my best friend ultimately betrayed me for the other girl. It really hurts me because I was the only one left lonely at the end of it all. I doubt she will ever even think to apologize to me. So what advice do you have for moving on from dead friendships? You know, I was betrayed by a group of friends in the past. And I think that when it finally came time to forgive them, which was a very, very long time after the initial betrayal, what I had to do was really remember how much fun we had. I thought about all of the times when I would need to borrow a hair product or I would need to call somebody up about a man and only they would really understand because these were my girls. And we didn't talk about anything intellectual and we didn't really talk even about the intricacies of our personal lives. And I thought about the fun that we had, the movies that we watched and the jokes that we told. I mean, we would literally dance for hours and we would just be in stitches over things that who knows if they would be funny to me this day. I just remembered how much I needed them when I needed them. And I remember that when the friendship was ending, the truth was I didn't need them very much anymore at all. And I think that the lie that we tell ourselves is that every single person that we meet who brings us joy is supposed to be in our life perpetually. But the truth is the things that are funny at five aren't always funny at 15. And the things that are fun at 22 aren't always fun at 42. And it's okay. It's okay to say, yes, this is how it ends. This is how it ends with these blows in the most hurtful of ways. This is how it ends with a secret that I gave to you that you told to somebody else. This is how it ends in a physical altercation. But when it was good, it was so good. And I am choosing to remember you for who you were when I needed you most because I love that person. And I love that person still because the girl that I was needed a homegirl. In college, the college I went to black girls were so rare and real ones were so rare so when I found a homegirl that would cornrow my hair under my sew-in when I found a homegirl that I could talk to about the things that were ailing me about my mother it was this kind of camaraderie that was so special and so necessary to my survival but maybe I don't need those things now and maybe there's nothing to talk about and we can't go to the club anymore and maybe it's nice when you find friends that you can have for absolutely 
ever. And it's nice that people can change when you change and understand what you understand. But the truth is, in the words of the great Tia and Tamara, sister, sister, I gotta do what's real for me like you got to do what's right for you. And how hard is it to admit that maybe what your job was in the scheme of things was to bring these two people together because maybe they'll need each other for always. And no matter how much they might resent you, secretly they understand that they are so grateful that you brought them together because it changed everything for them. You know, funny enough, one time I went on a date with a guy and we weren't very compatible, but we had been seeing one another for a few weeks. And he took me to a restaurant and while he went to go go get us our food so that we could sit down there was this boy sitting right across the table from me and I looked up and I introduced myself and the guy that I was with he came up behind me and he said oh so you met such and such he owns this place and I said oh you own this place I had loved the interior decor of it and I ended up with that boy for two years he ended up being one of the best loves that I've ever had. And I remember that even though we were not compatible on our own accord, how much the boy that introduced us, despite the fact that I had only known him for two or three weeks, how much he had resented me at first. But there came a time in which I left both of those relationships behind. And I returned to that restaurant not so long ago, and I saw both of them at the same time. And despite the resentments that any of them held, there was nothing but love there. And the boy that introduced us, he said, how you been? I said, you're working on your TV thing. I see your projects. Like, I hope that I can help you if you ever need help. Because I think that when time really tells the truth, he knew that we were one, not supposed to be together. But he saw the good that I brought to his friend's life. And he saw that that too came to pass. Just a few days ago, I went back to that restaurant and sure enough, the guy that I had been with, he was with someone else. And I had to show her love too. Because when you take yourself out of the center of the world, you understand that that other people are trying just like you and other people need love just like you and you're not gonna be able to be everything to everybody and sometimes just the experience of people to have loved and lost is better than to have never loved at all and I know that it seems like an easy thing to say but you strive you strive to because things end in this lifetime and you better get used to it because it's the best lesson you can ever learn and the better thing rather than resenting people and holding a is to hope and pray for a better friendship, to pray for the people that you brought together, that they have each other for always, to hope that you added something to the equation and that you didn't cause any irreparable damage, to forgive and move on with your life because the possibility of love and the potential for love will always exceed whatever past hurt that there is if you let it, if you let it, if you make a decision. I don't know if that'll make you feel better. I don't. I don't know if it if it helps to admit sometimes that we're not as necessary to an equation as we think. I don't know if it'll ever stop hurting that people can go on without us and be okay despite the fact that we thought that we were the fixture and center of their universe. But if I do what's real for me, then I will always be giving you permission to do Dear what's right ben, for you. How do you get comfortable sharing your art with other people? 
or even displaying it somewhere where it might be seen. I have some real hangups around this. I'm afraid of it being misunderstood or not appreciated, especially by my relatives. How can I get over this fear? You know, I spoke at a high school a few weeks ago and I met this beautiful 14-year-old girl named Madison and she is just so bright and confident and she steps right up and she says, I want to do what you do. And she's like, well, I love to write and sing and I make poetry. And I said, oh, great. Well, then you already do what I do. Everything that I do now, I had learned how to do by the time I was 14. I already knew how to think. I knew how to talk. I knew how to write. And she says, well, I have another question. How do you get over performing in front of people? And I said, oh, well, that one's easy. That's the one thing that you have to learn. You have to learn how to love people. And she was like, I don't get it. And I said, you know, you got to show people love. And I could tell that this was going right over her head. And I said, okay, well, recite one of your poems for me right now. And she just flushed red and she said, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. I don't even have it fully memorized. I said, cool, we'll perform what you know. And at this point, you know, there are other people standing around, other adults, other kids watching us. And she really low under her breath just speeds through this poem. And it was such a beautiful poem. It really was. And when she stopped, she looks up and everybody was kind of like, hey, that was kind of good. And I was like, yeah, that was cool. Now show me some love. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, you have to recite it like you love me. And she said, well, I don't really know how to do that. And I said, well, how do you show your homegirls love? You know, you give me eye contact, you tell me your story and you know that I'll listen, you know that I'll understand. And then I told her to redo the poem and she redoes this poem and she was so powerful, looking me directly in my eyes, swaying, intonation, tone, enunciation. And it was like she had transformed right before my very eyes, had become an artist. And you know what I told her, this thing about showing love, every artist has to learn it when they step out into the world because we're bred with this fear of people. And what you assume when you before you go on stage to sing or what you assume before you put your art up in that gallery is that people are hell-bent on misunderstanding you. But in order to become public, in order to publish, in order to gain authority and authorship, we have to get over this fear that people are inherently trying to misunderstand us, that if we go before people that they're going to berate us and they're going to laugh at us. We have to take that risk. And by taking that risk, it's that we have to love people. And when we love people the way that we do, we understand that they have one a similar fear of being misunderstood. But we also understand that even if people are hell-bent on misunderstanding us, that their desire for freedom exceeds that intention. That a lot of times, yes, people may be looking at you when you walk up on that stage and they may be thinking she's about to make a fool of herself. But then you do what you do. If you have worked on your craft, if you have learned your skills, if you know your talent, and if you have told the truth, you will blow people away and transform people right before for your own very eyes. And it's a crazy thing when we see people who have both a talent and a fearlessness because anybody can go up on a stage and sing a pretty song. But when people have stage presence, when people know that they've brought something, when they bring themselves, when people understand what an artist is capable of and they take that responsibility seriously, it can mean the difference between bondage and freedom for so many people. The first time I heard Nina Simone, the first time I watched Esperanza Spalding perform, it changes you to watch people do what they do. And that's really, for artists, you can't cheat the world out of your talent because you have a fear of other people. Free yourself and free them because artists are the only thing they ever have. It's always been such a mystery to me how in private corners, artists can do the hardest job that most people will never have to do, which was confront themselves and look in the mirror and ask themselves, what's really going on with me? And how can I 
convey that. And on top of that, to put in the discipline to conquer a medium, whether it be dance or painting or singing, to put the discipline in to learn your craft and then hone that craft to tell the truth. That's such a scary process in your own private quarters. So for you to get on a stage and that be your fear, it's other people, it's a joke. It's like cut the foolishness. What's scary is never getting there, is never doing that thing and realizing that the thing that you felt could be the thing that so many other people are feeling and the thing that you have to say could be the thing that so many other people need you to say and your fear should be never doing that never bringing people that freedom never bringing people that sense of satisfaction your fear should be being the greatest singer of the world and only being in the audience at any given time guess what it's easy to be a spectator and it's easy to be a judge it's easy to be the arbiter of judgment over other people's art name four famous critics go ahead right now I dare you name four people who were just so good at judging art that they're remembered through history you couldn't because the truth is people don't matter in the way that we say that they do when it comes to artistry the hard part is the fight with yourself and if you win that fight if you engage in that fight every day every time that you step in front of a canvas every time that you walk into a studio if you engage in that confrontation with self self-discipline self-worth self-questioning then there's not a person in the world that can touch you or make you feel small because when you win that fight it's the championship of a lifetime. Dear Viv, you get to work with the exact people or type of people you once dreamed of working with. How does one push their creative career forward when it seems like there's a blockage in making those necessary connections? You know, as much as it's pushed to our generation, I've never been into networking. I've never been into, let me exchange contacts, I'll reach out later. I've never been into any of that. What I do that you all see is all I do. I do my thing. I do my thing and I do my thing well because I care about my craft and I'm always trying to get better and I'm always reading and I'm always learning. The thing is, is that you can scam a lot of people or persuade a lot of people or use charisma to get into people's pockets so that they do what you want. But these relationships never last. Anybody that you all see in a circle that I exist in is somebody that approached me out of sheer observation of a skill that I had or had heard about me from somebody else who was like, you gotta watch this girl do her thing. We get so, so caught up as artists of wanting to be seen, of wanting to be validated and wanting to be noticed that we miss that the point and the ends is creation. We're not working to an end of fame. We're not working to an end of access. We're not working to an end of a job. We're just working. We're working. And when you're working, and specifically when you're working it, meaning that you're doing what you do very well, the right people will always notice. There's no way that you can be working to the full extent of your talent and doing what you do best and being in your own lane and nobody notice. It's, I've never seen it happen. It's when you get distracted about being seen. It's why you have a thousand influencers and a thousand creatives for every one artist because creatives create for their audience and artists create for their art. And if I was ever given any accolade or recognition or recommendation for anything, I was never one to reach out to people. I just had too much pride. There was nothing that ever made me want to give a business card. I don't even at the end of these episodes say like and share. 
Have you ever noticed that I never say, oh, like if you love Ask Viv, share it with a friend? Because Ask Viv is a damn good podcast, period. This takes so much time and effort to put together. The depths of my soul that I have to go to to give you all these answers, the level of clarity it requires, the level of production and editing to make this feel seamless, cutting together music, fading shit in and out, creating graphics, and then actually disseminating it on platforms that you can hear it. I buy extra SoundCloud space to even host this. I'm not gonna tell you to share it. I'm just going to assume that it is high enough quality that I can justify every single listen I get because I love Ask Viv, because I love my art. And I wish that more creatives would seek that place inside of them that I was talking about where they're intervening and communing with themselves rather than worrying so much about credit. I am astounded at the kind of people who seek me out for my advice or my art or collaboration. I'm always like, wow, where the hell did you hear of me? But the truth is people that are really working at the height of their careers, the kind of people that you wanna work with, the Beyonce's and Angela Bassett's and XYZ's of the world, these are people who are just focused on their craft and that's all they've ever done. And the business of disseminating that craft was always someone else's job. Actors have agents because all an actor really knows how to do at the end of the day is act. All I know how to do at the end of the day is talk. All I know how to do at the end of the day is write, and that's all I do. And it's so interesting that people think that there's a secret formula that what you're seeing is the front end and on the back end there are dirty deals being done and Illuminati meetings being held and secret hands being shaken and I'm doing something or sacrificing some kind of goat to get to the level of acclaim that I aspire to be at. No, the truth is, People who work their asses off, who put everything into their craft, people who will sit in front of a computer editing a 30 minute podcast for 12 hours plus graphics plus promotion by themselves are going to get noticed quicker than people who put 10 minutes into the craft and 40 minutes into the commercial about the craft. It just, it's never gonna add up because people who are of quality, artists who are of quality, notice other artists who are of quality. It always happens. I was just watching something yesterday where there's a woman who plays a major character on Game of Thrones, which I don't watch, so don't come to me asking about it. And she talks about how she was in a room and Beyonce comes up to her and it's like, I'm a really big fan of the show. And she was astounded. Cause she was like, I never thought Beyonce would hear of me. But the thing is that Beyonce is an artist that works so hard and knows so much about her craft that she recognizes the discipline and talent that goes into doing someone else's craft. And that's often how artists commune. People that work at their craft and know their craft can always see other people working hard at their craft and knowing their craft. I know quality. The reason why I recognize a really talented photographer or a really talented architect or interior designer is not because I'm great at photography, is not because I'm great at interior design or architecture, is not because I'm great at singing. It's because I know what it means to hone a craft. I know what it means to know your craft inside and out and to always be getting better. And I know people who do that for the sake of honesty and art. And I know people who do that out of an aspiration for fame. And the difference, you could never sell it. You could not bottle up the difference. It is day and night. People who do this thing because they have to and people who do this thing for other people, the difference is day and night. And until you really 
commune with yourself as an artist, then even if you were in front of your most beloved artistic hero, it would not even matter. You have to do it for you. You have to do it for honesty because you have something to say or you're never gonna do it well. And even if you do it well, you're never gonna do it to the level that it needs to be done. You have to love this thing. And I think that when artists or people in general have that conversation, a lot of people realize that they're not actually artists. It's okay sometimes to just realize that you're a lover of music, you're not a musician. I began school in architecture and I didn't finish because I realized I love architecture. And I love the discipline and the tenacity and the time and the detail that it takes to do architecture. But I'm not an architect because I don't need to do this. And I know I don't need to do it because the pain of it was too much. I know that I have to be somebody that talks for a living and creates for a living because even though it's so painful and so tedious and so boring sometimes, I have to do it. It's just what I wake up having to do. And I know that because I have to do it, that people are gonna watch me do it. And that sometimes it's going to be the least significant person that's giving me that time. And sometimes it's gonna be my hero, my literal hero reaching out to me to be like, I see you doing your thing. But you also have to understand that I hold all audiences equally. I love communing with artists because I know that they understand the discipline, but I don't hold them over somebody who's not an artist at all. I view all people who appreciate my work and take time equally because I remember when the only person listening to me was me and y'all weren't there. And that's the funny thing you realize about other people that is important as you may view them. And at the end of the day, as creative and prestigious as they may be, and however much they may appreciate what you do and truly understand, they weren't there for the basics of it. Every great singer knows that at the end of the day, they were the only one in the shower practicing those scales. Every dancer knows they were the only one at midnight in the studio doing tendus and pot of berets. No one is there for you for the hardest and most integral parts of you becoming an artist. And so no one is going to be that important where they can make or break a career that they did not give you or build you. And when you all fundamentally understand that your careers will take off in a way that you will not imagine and people will notice dear viv i'm struggling to find a balance between kindness for myself and others often i empathize with others so much that i continue to again and again put myself in difficult situations how does one empathize with others genuinely without falling into the trap of being used I think that as a culture, we have to redefine what empathy looks like completely because oftentimes, especially with women, when we think of empathy, we mean that when we hear somebody's problems or issues, that we should internalize them and try to find a solution because they have become our problems and our issues, when in reality, Empathy means understanding. That's what empathy means. Empathy means to extend understanding. Empathy is literally the act of saying, I feel you and meaning it. It's to really listen. Empathy is an act of listening and really negotiating with yourself what it means to be going through that. And that's all empathy is. We put ourselves in positions of unnecessary martyrdom because we don't understand that empathy is understanding. It's to really listen. Empathy is an act of listening and really negotiating with yourself what it means to be going through that. And that's all empathy is.
We put ourselves in positions of unnecessary martyrdom because we don't understand that there are so many ways to understand people without actively involving yourself in their stuff. So when somebody says, oh, I'm so frustrated because I'm on my last, I'm so broke, I have $10 to my name. And what we've been taught that empathy means is that even if I'm on my last $10 as well, I should give you my last $9. And just to say, okay, well now I've empathized, but now I'm in the same position. And the only time that we feel resentful of other people is when we feel like they've robbed our ability to make a choice. And when you give up your agency and call it empathy, you're always going to be resentful despite the fact that your intention was to be kind because now somebody has compromised your ability to make a choice or you feel like you've been manipulated into making a choice and so you're frustrated by the choices that you've made. So one, whatever difficult situation you've been put into and told yourself it was empathy, understand you made that choice. The key is to not let pity entrap us into choices that we don't actually want to make because then our empathy becomes perverse and we end up resenting people for things that we actually wanted to be charitable or generous. Don't overextend yourself and blame other people. It's okay to just say, I understand and I really do feel for you. You do not have to put yourself in compromising positions because somebody else is in a compromising position. You just don't. There's nothing that says that you have to do that. What I'm learning now again and again and again, so many times I have friends that come to me and they have done ridiculous things hurtful things. I mean, really put themselves in compromising positions. And I have learned to say the same thing every single time, especially if this is something that puts my livelihood or my peace of mind or or my happiness at stake. I say, I understand you. And I see that in doing X, Y, Z, you have made a choice. So now understand that I will make my choices. And you'll actually really find that people hate this. People hate when they make a choice and then you get to make a choice. People want it where they make a choice and then they get to choose both the consequences of that choice and your choices as well. No, 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 no. Empathy at the crux of things is truly understanding that someone has made a choice and maybe that choice is a good choice and maybe that choice is a bad choice, but they have made a choice. And this is how empathy extends to even the darkest, darkest things. I mean, you can empathize with a murderer if you really, really go there because you could say, I see in this situation, given these circumstances, you made this choice. That's empathy saying, I understand. And it doesn't have to attach to a character judgment. Empathy is not saying you made this choice because you're this kind of person. Empathy is just saying you made this choice and I understand how given XYZ circumstances, you could have made XYZ choice. And you'll find that oftentimes that actually is enough, that people will be consoled by the fact that you have extended understanding. And if those people resent you for what you don't give, then those are people who were not actually seeking empathy. Those people were trying to extract something without asking for it. It's time that people, women especially, listen up. Stop giving people things that they did not ask for and then being resentful for them later when they took it. There used to be a running joke where women would pour, pour, pour into a man 
pour everything that they had into that man. And then later on, when they would be like, why did you not reciprocate? Or why do you not love me? That man would say, nobody asked you to do that. As funny and dark as this trope is, it is true that we extend ourselves and give empathy. And then when we don't get the desired consequence or when we end up in compromising situations with only ourselves to blame, we become deeply resentful of the people that we are empathetic to. And I think that one of the scary things about this process is understanding that it makes us check our own intentions when it comes to empathy, because oftentimes we have to admit sometimes what we didn't want to do was empathize, but we wanted to intervene and fix somebody's issues. We wanted them to love us more. We wanted them to approve of us more. We wanted them to appreciate us more. And we knew that probably they would not appreciate us just on the merits of understanding. So we decided to overextend and sacrifice and gratify. And when we're not appeased, because the empathy that we've given is highly conditional, we feel resentful. Now whose fault is that? Sure, sometimes people are malicious. Sure, sometimes people are manipulative. But more oftentimes what happens is that we do not want to admit that our empathy is not just rooted in understanding. We have empathy to other ends. And you can get free of people and all of their bad intentions in the world, but if you don't correct your own, you're always gonna get the same result, always. And you can be freed of all of other people's bad intentions and waywardness and still end up in the same position because you won't check your own intentions. If you extend empathy, it should be to an end of understanding and understanding alone. And if you make a choice, then you have to own that that choice was a choice that you made. If you give more money than you have, if you extend your time when you shouldn't extend your time, if pity moves you in this way, or if you're just wanting some kind of glorification or validation or appreciation, you need to understand what you're really seeking. Empathy is the pursuit of understanding and that's all empathy is. And if you're pursuing something else, then be real about what you're pursuing. Don't look to other people to free you from the pursuits of your own interest. They can't do it. Only you know why you're truly giving what you're giving to the ends of understanding. Sometimes we want other things and when we can be real about what we truly want, if you truly just want to understand people, which is so real, so, so real, and you constantly find yourself in compromising situations where you've given too much money or too much time, then you need to understand that you can be free of it by doing less. It's okay to just say, I understand you and I'm here if you wanna talk. It's okay. I'm giving you full, full, full permission to use those words and that be the end of the discussion. See how your life changes, just, just see. That's all the time that we have for today. If you've made it this far in the episode, I so, so, so appreciate it. You know, you can get free of other people through forgiveness, but the thing that you have to be prepared for is that even though you will feel much better, much lighter, much brighter, your self-esteem will go up, everything will change for you in that new freedom, other people people that you thought would want to see you free. Other people won't necessarily like it. People will notice that you've changed and you'll notice that the intentions of others are not always as pure as they appear to be. And sometimes it's not even out of malice or manipulation, but you're going to have to teach people how to love you again. 
because what used to work won't work anymore and what they used to be able to get you to do through pity or desperation or codependency, they just won't be able to get you to do it anymore. And you have to walk people through the boundaries that you have. Don't bring that situation up anymore. I'm not there anymore. You have to teach people how to love you again. And it's honestly such a journey and it's a beautiful one. And I found that for all of the ways in the last few weeks that I felt misunderstood to say, you know, I'm just not that person. There's also been these really, really critical moments for me where I've run into friends, some that I see every day, and they've looked at me and say, you've changed. And it's not out of judgment, and it's not out of disappointment, but a real sense of admiration. I had a friend the other day, he looked at me and say, wow, you've grown up. In his eyes, I could see the woman that I was becoming. And it was somebody that was for me, for me. You know, the thing is, is that we don't even understand the ways in which other people take ownership of us, and the ways that we concede ownership of ourselves in these little, little tiny ways over time and there are so many people that just by the words that they say or the tiny actions or the disregard the things that they don't do for us in the sense of neglect that they just come to own all of these pieces of ourselves when people didn't recognize our talents so we didn't pursue those talents anymore when people didn't like the way that we dress so we dress differently when people made fun of the way that we talk so we changed how we talk and all of a sudden you're just a product of the images of other people You're made in somebody else's image. People that you often don't even care for, don't even have very much respect for, you never held in high regard, and yet they control you. Because after you forgive, you have to really work on who you are and who you want to be. And it means telling yourself a new story about yourself, a better story. It means rediscovering what you wanted as a child. It means possibility again. But it's also very confusing when you don't want to talk about your ex anymore but how do you talk about love without the references of all the people that ever broke you how do you talk about career possibilities without all the disappointments and letdowns you know the thing that's kind of scary is that we use other people and we put all of our stuff on them because sometimes it's just really really hard to admit that freedom is so difficult but a lot of you you're sitting here and you're stuck in front of this wall and you don't know who you are and you're running out of time and excuses and people to blame for the consequence that is your life and so much of renewing and restarting and taking ownership and moving forward and moving on and moving out of whatever rut you've been stuck in starts with understanding sometimes you have to go backwards to go forward sometimes you have to dig into the past to understand the present to carve out a future and you don't have to be scared of that process because what you do find about other people is that for every single person that's carved out an insecurity in your life there's someone else who has filled you up with so much comfort and so much love, somebody that you can go home to, somebody that you don't have to feel alone, somebody that you can tell them that you're different now and they'll understand and they'll love you even more. You see, the problem with becoming a result of other people is that we never really know the depth of our capacity to love them until we find ourselves. I didn't know how much love Bianca was capable of until I took that journey of freeing myself from other people. You know, when you don't free yourself from other people and yet you're bound to them by family ties or committed relationships 
then even all of the good that they do and all of the joy that they bring you is always standing up against a caveat of that one time that they did this or that time that they said that. And they tend to negate one another so we can't even enjoy the full possibilities of love. And you know, the thing is, is that when you really come to terms and you forgive other people and you look at the good that they brought you when they entered your life, you also have to take account of all of the ways that you've brought harm to other people too. And it's something that is a very, very difficult conversation to have to realize that for everything that you have to forgive for, usually you also have to be forgiven. Irreparable damage that you've caused, harm that you've done, things that you've said that you can't take back. And you have to leave that too because there's no point becoming a new person free of shame if you can't also be free of guilt. So you learn to forgive yourselves and forgive others and hope that they forgive you and we can begin to heal this woundedness and carve out something new, something better. And you learn to count it all joy and you realize that other people teach you so much about life in the pain that they bring. If people brought nothing but joy and good times, if they kept every single promise, if they were exactly who they said they were, if they always told the truth, then you couldn't step out into the world (laughs) because you find that the world full of strangers is so unkind on its own that the small lessons that we learn in the intricate hurts of the people around us teach us how to be people in the world. They give us tough skin and they grow us up, but they don't have to make us hard-hearted, no. In fact, they can open us up to a kind of compassion and empathy that we didn't know that we were capable of. And that should always be the goal. I think of myself and I think of other people and I'm learning these days to count it all joy. I thank God for other people. If it wasn't for other people, I'd have nothing to say to you all. It is my wide array of experience with people that allows me to bring love and offer some semblance of reassurance or healing or whatever Ask Viv does for you all. And so I think of people, other people, and I. The good was all good and the bad was all good. So now it's all good and that's called freedom. And I wish you freedom. As always, I thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you'll check out my new video series, Dear Viv, on Instagram. I'm Bianca Vivion, and if you ever need anything at all, you can always ask Viv.